Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. In this season, Father, we recognize the miracle of Emmanuel God with us. We celebrate you, Lord Jesus, as the Word who became flesh. You've dwelt among us, and you didn't just bear our sins, which is great and wonderful. Father, you, through Jesus Christ, you've entered into our brokenness, our suffering. You understand loneliness and rejection. You know what it is to bear human flesh. And because of that, you are able to sympathize with us. And so, Father, as we gather this morning, we bring our brokenness to you, Father, our loneliness, our rejection. Father, we bring our joys, our hopes, our aspirations. And as our King and as our Redeemer, we lay them at your feet and just and surrender, trust you. And Father, in this season, to choose gratitude and hope and joy for what you will bring, Father, would you meet us here? We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, welcome to Bergen Park Church. We have a bit of a holiday hangover this morning because we had a great celebration last night. If you were not able to be a part of it, uh, it was tremendous. Tremendous. That's why there's so much room in the front over here. This isn't for dancing. If you'd like to, you can take that area. Uh, We'll see who's the boldest among you, but fantastic uh, performance last night and really worship celebration. It It was great. So thank you to Randy. I think Randy's here. Randy, you're in the back. Randy, can you just let everybody know of your greatness? And so thank you for uh, your perseverance and leading us through that. Can you turn that up just a little bit? Um, It was fantastic. It was a a great time together. Hey, there's a passage I want to read for you before we jump into this. It's just kind of been on my heart as we move into this this season, and it is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And it says this, We urge you, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, and do not quench the Spirit. You know, as we move into this, this text we're going to look at this morning in Luke chapter 1, I just want to start off with a confession. It's not a confession of moral failure. It's a confession of exhaustion. You know, as I was preparing this week, what I tend to do when it comes to sermon series is I like to walk through books of the Bible and kind of get into the text. And so maybe six weeks out, I was in these passages, studying them, writing down notes. And then when it comes to that week, I get back into those notes, start studying it again. And then by Thursday, Friday, I really get into it and kind of ask the Spirit of God, what are you teaching me? I try to teach out of what God's teaching me, where he's leading me, whether it's in my brokenness or my weakness or my trust or my surrender to him. Um, But I got to Wednesday this week, which was just to review my notes. And then last night happened, and I kind of focused on that. So this, this week, I feel pretty unprepared. And if you know what it's like to stand in front of a group of beautiful people, and yet feel unprepared. That's kind of where I am this morning. So 
I'd ask for your grace and your forgiveness. Hey, a couple things that are coming up. First of all, Christmas Eve services are coming up 4.30 and 6 o'clock. We're going to have childcare just for the littlest among us from four years old to zero. So that, that kind of area. And then also on the 26th, December 26th and the 2nd, just going to have one service. So you're at the right service, 9.30. You're in. You're, you guys are good. You don't have to remember that. But really in kind of anticipation of who may be here after the holidays and also to give our fantastic uh, children's uh, kind of volunteers a break, we're going we're gonna to be doing that. So hey, let's jump into this passage. We've been looking at these songs that are a response to the story of, of the promise of the Messiah, of Jesus coming. Last week we looked at Mary. And this week we're going to look at the story of Zacharias in Luke chapter 1. And let me give you a little bit of a, a preview into what we're going to be looking at. You know, Zechariah was a priest, and in Israel at that time, there were some 18,000, you can imagine, 18,000 priests. So as a priest, you didn't spend all your time in the temple. Instead, maybe you were out in a synagogue, and then twice a year, you get the call up, kind of like the National Guard. You get the call up twice a year, and you would go to Jerusalem for one week, and in this gathering, this conclave of priests... Within that, they would cast lots, and somebody during that week would get the opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies, the holiest place, where they would offer these prayers for God's uh, redemption and his promise of the Messiah's redemption of Israel, the hope of God coming back. Because see, during this time, uh, between Malachi, which is the Italian prophet, some call him Malachi, it's the last of the prophets. I know it's a horrible. I told you, guys, I didn't prepare this week, so that's the best I got. <laughs> It's the last of the prophets of the Old Testament. Between Malachi and Matthew, there's 400 years. It's called 400 years of silence. In which the priests would go into the temple. They would offer these prayers of redemption, but there was just silence after silence. There were no prophets. There was no one really speaking hope into the life of the nation of Israel. Instead, Israel was dominated by foreign forces. Idolatry was taking hold of the hearts of the people. Even their religious leaders had gone astray. And we know that because when Jesus shows up, I mean, they don't recognize him. The people who should recognize the character of God, the people who were leading God's people had such hearts that were set on pride and not humility. They didn't recognize the Savior of the world who had come. And so that was the state, the spiritual state of Israel, Judea at that time. And see, Zechariah was a priest, and he gets the opportunity. So this is the height of his career, to go into the Holy of Holies, to offer the prayers for the redemption of Israel, to say, Father, would you come now? Would you bring the Messiah? Would you bring hope, redemption, peace, joy? Would you come? Zechariah has this opportunity. And when he gets into the Holy of Holies, he finds something nobody had ever seen. He sees an angel and with that angel, the promised redemption of the Messiah is going to come. And so we're going to jump into the story. Now realize Zechariah and Elizabeth are quite old, maybe around 80. And so God's going to promise, just like with Abraham and Sarah, God's going to say, listen, you're going to have a son. And this son is going to lead the way. And the spirit of Elijah, just as the Old Testament prophet prophesied before the Messiah would come, Elijah would come back, the spirit of Elijah, and he would prepare the way of the Lord. And he's saying, listen, Zechariah, even though you guys are barren and you're well past menopause, you're it. And so we're going to watch the story of Zechariah. And we're really just going to kind of go verse by verse. 
and follow along with me. So if you want to grab a Bible, there's some in front of you, or you can also follow along on the screen as we unpack this story of what God has done. So let's pick it up in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. You guys ready? You with me this morning? You guys awake? All right, thank you. I needed that. that. Thank you, guys. We love you. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So this is that introduction that Zechariah is a priest, and he is a part of this gathering of Abijah, a set of priests, and his wife also, Elizabeth, was from the line of Aaron. And they were both, and this is important, verse 6, righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, that didn't mean they're perfect. This is also said of two other individuals in the story of Jesus' birth, Joseph and Simeon. And the reason that Luke tells us this, that these were people that really pursued God, they loved God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, they loved their neighbors themselves, because many in their community looked upon them with shame, because watch what happens in verse 7. How in the world can you be blessed of God if you have no children? So notice it says, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now advanced in years. So Elizabeth and Zechariah walked in this, this weight and this shadow of shame. Because in the Old Testament, children were seen as a blessing from God. And so the people in his community of the the group of Abijah, these priests, they'd look upon Zechariah and Elizabeth and they would think to themselves, you must have done something wrong. Because if you truly walked in God's commands, now Luke's giving us insight, he's kind of contrasting for us this reality of shame and yet their heart was fully devoted to God. This was the lot that they carried. This is where they had to trust the Lord. And so many people would look upon him and say, there's something in your life, something has gone on. You must have done something your parents or you have done something so that you could not have children. So this is the reality that Elizabeth and Elijah have walked in their entire life, living in shame, living in this sense of guilt, even wondering, because I imagine to yourself, when you're in a community like that where people don't trust you, they do not believe in you, you start to wonder, is it true? I mean, have you ever been there? Is it true? Has God abandoned us? Has God turned his back upon us? And Luke is saying, no, no, that's not, that's not what's happening. So watch in verse eight. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, so that was twice a year, they would be called up. And according to the custom, so here's the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Listen, this is the height of being a priest. This is it. This is Super Bowl Sunday. And see, when your number was called, that was it. They would take your, your name out of, out of the, the lineup. So this is his great opportunity. And he has heard from others who have gone into the Holy of Holies, that what the priests would do is they gather in the holy place and they would pray, they would make sacrifice, and one priest would go into the holy of holies and they would offer that sacrifice and they would offer incense in the presence of the Lord and they would say, God, fulfill your promises. Come and redeem our people. Rescue us from the enemies who suppress us. Zachariah's number is called. And so watch what happens. Verse 10 and the whole multitude of people were praying outside, just outside of the Holy of Holies, at the hour of incense, as Zechariah is going in, and notice, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side 
of the altar of incense. Now, Zechariah has never done this before, so he's wondering, is this, is this how it goes? I mean, can you imagine that? It's like, nobody told me about this. This wasn't in the manual. I know this is a great honor, but here is this angel standing alongside the altar of incense, and as Zechariah comes in, you can imagine, first of all, he's blown away that he's called and his number is picked, and yet here is this angel standing at the side of the altar of incense, and in verse 12, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, of course he was, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, just as the angel will say to Mary, don't be afraid. Zechariah, and here's important, for your prayer has been heard. And now you've got to stop right there, and you have to ask the question, which prayer? Because remember, they're not praying for kids anymore. I mean, when do you stop praying for kids? I mean, they're probably in their 80s at this point, so unless they think they're blessed with the promise of Abraham and Sarah, they're probably past that point, though it says in verse 12, or where were we? 13, your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. So you may assume that the prayer that he just prayed was give us a son. But realize, see, what Zechariah is doing in this moment is he's representing the hope of the nation, a nation that is oppressed, a nation that is in 400 years of silence, a nation that is awaiting the coming of the Messiah and the redemption of God to rescue them from their enemies. The prayer that he just prayed was a prayer of incense. It was the prayer of the coming of the Messiah. And the angel is saying, not just simply that you're going to have a son, no, but the hope of Israel has come. 400 years of silence, it's over. And God is fulfilling the promises that he prophesied years and years ago. Zechariah, it's happening and it's coming through you. So both the promise of the nation is both a global promise, but it's very, very personal in the way that it comes to Zechariah. So verse 14. Actually, end of verse verse 13. And Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And we see that in the next story with Mary. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God He will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. This is a story that goes back to the prophecies of what the Messiah would bring, that the relationships even within homes would be made right, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready for the Lord a people who are prepared. And see, that's the story of John, that John goes out into the wilderness, and John was this Somewhat strange prophet who ate locusts and honey, and he wore these, this strange clothing, and he was out in the wilderness, and he just said, listen, this is the time of repentance. This is the time to prepare our hearts, to allow us to know that the Messiah is coming. We've got to prepare the way for the Lord. Let's get right. And see, when you get right with God, what happens is you get right with people. Because Jesus said, if you love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, you'll love your neighbor is yourself. The evidence of that depth of love for God is making it right with people. And he's saying, listen, fathers are gonna turn to their children. Children are gonna turn to the fathers. The disobedient are gonna have wisdom and they're gonna be just. And that's what John will do. And so he's prophesying the story of what John will bring about. So watch this, verse 18. 
And here's where it went wrong. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? Now, just hit pause. He's in the Holy of Holies. His number is chosen. Elizabeth is barren. There's an angel sending at the right side of this altar of incense. Okay, how do I know this is going to happen? Now, Mary asks a similar question. She's not rebuked. So there's something deeper that's going on in Zechariah's life. Because he also gives the obvious. I mean, this is a blinding flash of the obvious. I'm old. It's kind of what you say when you have nothing else to say. Have you noticed I'm old? And if you haven't seen my wife yet, she's not doing well either. That's what the second half says. My wife has advanced in years. And I love this. I'm Gabriel. I'm an angel. I stand at the right hand of God the Father. Why are you doubting me? You are in the Holy of Holies in the presence of an angel, and you're wondering, how is this going to be brought about? Bro, open your eyes. I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news. And so there's a little bit of a rebuke here, but I want to suggest that what the angel does to Zechariah was grace. Now, it was punishment. It was punishment. But I think it was grace to prepare Zechariah for what was to come. Just as the nation of Israel was cast into 400 years of silence, what's going to happen is Zechariah in a microcosm is going to be cast into nine months of silence. So watch what happens. I am the angel Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I speak to you, and I'm bringing this good news. And behold, you will be silent, verse 20, and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words. You didn't believe the presence. You didn't believe the reality which will be fulfilled at their time. Now realize, while Zechariah is, is in the Holy of Holies, everybody else is outside, and they know how long this takes. And so everyone's wondering, what's happening to Zach? Why is this taking so long? And so they're kind of anticipating, because it shouldn't take that, that long a time. So everyone's out in the holy place, and they're praying. The priests are gathered. And suddenly, here comes Zechariah, verse, verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay. And when he came out and he was unable to speak, they realized he had seen a vision in the temple because he kept making signs to them and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. Something has happened. You can imagine the anticipation of these priests that are gathered because, see, for 400 years, people have gone in, people have gone out, people have gone in. It's kind of routine at this point. And suddenly someone comes out and his, imagine his face his eyes were open. He couldn't speak. They're wondering what is going on. God is at work. Verse 24. And these days, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in these days. When he looked upon me to take away, and notice her language, my reproach among the people. What has Elizabeth carried for her entire life? It's shame. Shame. They realized she hadn't done anything. And yet in that community, she felt the weight of rejection, the weight of people doubting her relationship. I don't know if you've been in that space where others may have made accusations against you or others viewed you in a certain way. And there was the reality of who you are, who you know yourself to be. And yet here's Here's Elizabeth, and she's carrying this deep shame, and she's saying, God, when you looked upon me, my shame was gone. 
See, now even if this child wasn't born, I wanna suggest when the Father looks upon you, it removes our shame. Because see, his acceptance is enough to heal the heart. That's the beauty of what happens actually in the story of Mary. If you remember last week in the Magnificat where Mary is singing this song, it says, and the Lord looked upon me in my humble state. It's the same language. That as God looked upon Mary and her sinfulness and her brokenness and her humility, God is looking upon Elizabeth and in looking upon her, her shame is taken away because she now has the blessing, the presence, the acceptance of God. That's a weight that's lifted. I don't know if you carry and you walk in that kind of identity where others have said things against you or you've carried this shame. Would you allow the Father simply to look upon you and remove that shame? The way he does that is the same way he did for his son. You know, he said to Jesus, you are my son whom I love with you and well pleased. You need to receive that on a daily basis. Because you are a child of God, God loves you. He is pleased with you. And the reason he loves, loves you and he's pleased with you is because you belong to him. That's what he's saying to Elizabeth. Listen, I know your shame. I know your brokenness. I know what's going on in your life. But because you belong to me, may that shame be released. I imagine for Elizabeth in those five months, she had to work it down. Did you notice that? Five months. It took five months as she's allowing that reality just to wash over her. So let's jump. So what's gonna happen next is the story of Mary and Elizabeth and, and the coming of Gabriel to, to Mary. So let's jump over and let's go to verse 57. And let's pick up the rest of this story. So from what we just read to verse 57, nine months have now passed. And now the time came, verse 57, for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father because, see, that's the most natural thing to do. Children would be named after the father or someone, some male certainly in the lineage of, of Zachariah. But his mother answered. Now, realize for a mother to name certainly a firstborn male, it's very, very unusual. It, today, in some ways, it would be as if you got married and you took your wife's last name. For Elizabeth to give this name in the place of Zechariah, it was highly, highly unusual. It's actually somewhat shameful. And they're thinking, no, there's no way that you can call this guy John, because notice, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, but wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. None of your relatives is called by that name. And so they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered, they're thinking, John, where's that guy come from? And notice immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loose, blessing God. And see, this is where that song comes out. Now, if I'd been silent for nine months, I'd be like, dudes, I mean, listen, I saw an angel. I went into the Holy of Holies. He was right there at the altar of incense. Instead, what happens is in Zechariah, this song of praise comes out for nine months. He's simply been sitting in silence. And that's why I say it was, it was a gift of grace. It was a gift of grace. For Zechariah, 
in this shame that they carried for years and this miracle of what God was doing in this 400 years of silence, Zachariah sat in the brokenness of that and the hope of that. And what came out was this rejoicing, this worship, this exaltation of God, really this message of joy to all the nations of what God would do and yet the personal reality through which he did it in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. And so verse, sorry, my eyes are bad, 50, uh, 65. And fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, just like Mary, if you remember, and she treasured these things in her heart. What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So what we're gonna do next is we're gonna look at this song. It's called in Latin, the Benedictus. So we have the Magnificat, which Mary sings. And here comes Zachariah's song. It's what came out of him as soon as his tongue was loose for nine months. God had been writing this song. So really what you're kind of seeing here is the backstory to this song that was written. And so let's jump into it. And what we're gonna see in this story is this wonder of hope rekindled. And as we look at the song, you've got to start asking, why is hope rekindled? What is it that's going to bring hope? And the hope is rekindled because God has come. God is visiting his people, and he's redeeming their brokenness and their sin. And what's so interesting in this story is that as Zachariah is singing the song, it's in the past tense. His, his trust in God is so secure that even though it hasn't happened yet, and even though it's going to be, in some ways, the fulfillment of the Messiah is going to continue to go on and on, he's saying, listen, it's as if it's already begun. Even though Rome is still oppressing us and will continue to oppress us for years, because the Messiah has come, because God has visited us and he has redeemed us, our hope is rekindled and we can hold on to those promises though we do not see the full reality of what we trust. And that's where you are, isn't it? Though we've received Christ, we haven't seen the full reality of his coming. We haven't seen the healing of our land. We haven't seen that fullness of salvation, and that's what he's going to sing about. So let's pick it up in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, and here is why, for he has visited and redeemed his people. The promise of the Messiah, it is fulfilled. The word has become flesh. He has dwelt among us, Emmanuel God with us. And he is raised up, and this word horn, it means strength. He's raised up a strength of salvation for us out of the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies, and right now they're under the oppression of the Romans, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy, promise to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant. God is fulfilling all the promises that for 400 years lay in silence. It's happening. The oath that he swore to his father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before his days. And verse 76, you could kind of say, here's my boy. Here's what my boy will do. And you, my child, John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. And why is God forgiving? Because of his tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong 
in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The story of this song is hope rekindled leading to joy. It's a story of hope rekindled. And see, why and how does hope get rekindled? It's when you know that God is, he's with you. He's with you. The miracle of this song is that God has, he's come. Now, I have to be honest with you, sometimes in my own walk with the Lord, you know, there are days where the nearness of God is, it's there. One of the things that I do, which I know is a little strange, is I kind of memorize books of the Bible. I'm not a great reader. I'm dyslexic. And so reading and and thinking at the same time are hard. It's two sides of my brain. That's how it works. kind of messed up. And so what I have to do is I got to memorize books. And often, and over the last few weeks, I've been going through Philippians twice a day, just praying the book of Philippians. And sometimes it takes five minutes, seven minutes, and I just sense the nearness of the Lord. But I'll, I'll tell you, sometimes I'll go through that book, and then it's nothing. There's nothing there. And I have to hope. I have to trust that he's with me. And, and when we try to draw near to the Lord, I want you to understand that sometimes that takes effort. It takes effort because there are messages in your life, there are stories in your life, there's burdens that you carry, and you have to constantly lay those things down. You know how often Scripture says, cast your burdens on him because he cares for you? And you know one of the reasons I think we don't sense the nearness of the Lord is we don't do it. We're trying to ask for God's presence, but he's saying, listen, I want to know your heart. I want to know what's going on. I want to know... Don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. But do we do that? Do we rekindle our hope? Do we know that God is with us? Do we know that the miracle of what Christ has done is real? You know, in Galatians, it says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. And because your sons, hear this, because this is the advent we sit in, because you were sons, he sent the Spirit out of his son into your heart. And why has he done that? The spirit calls out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves. You're not a slave to sin. You are a son. And since you're a son, you are also an heir. And when it says sons, listen, women, I know you want to say daughters, but what that means is you're a firstborn male. It means all of us inherit everything from our father. That's the reality that we live in the Advents, but we have to press into that. We have to press into it. And you know what it looks like to press into it? You got to take your 400 years of sadness or your 400 years of whatever, the silence that you're in, the difficulty that you're in, and you've got to learn to cast those burdens on the Lord because he is gentle and humble in heart and you will find, you will find rest. Church, are we doing that? Do you realize what God has provided for us for the opportunity for the spirit to cry out in us, Abba, Father, but we have to do the work of coming to him. And see, and in coming to him, the reason that hope is rekindled is because God is near, but he is redeemed. That he can take the years the locust has eaten. He can take the shame. He can take the guilt. He can take the brokenness. And if you're just willing to surrender and trust him and say, Father, I want you to have all of me. I want you to take my storylines. I want you to take my brokenness. I want you to take my fears. And I want to surrender those things to you. That's the story of redemption, that God doesn't just claim your soul. He claims you. And he is now your rightful king. And then what it looks like is to walk in trust and faith, to move out into the world with confidence, not walking in any other story. And we've talked about the stories we can walk in. The story we walk in is the hope and the goodness of the gospel. Church, that's what Christmas is about. It's about God's nearness, hope rekindled through redemption as we constantly come back to him and we trust him. 
because we know he is good. Hey, we're gonna celebrate um, communion this morning. If you didn't receive the elements when you came in, would you take, just take a moment and go grab those? Some of them are available in the back. They're also available up front. And listen, as we do that, we want to come into this, this time of celebration. This is not communion. It's not about adding a little bit more at the end of a service. It's about the opportunity to acknowledge that God is with us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to draw near to us, but there's things that we carry that we have to learn to surrender back to him. There could be anxieties, fears. There could be shame. Maybe someone here right now, like Elizabeth, you have carried that burden of shame. You've carried that burden of shame, what others have said to you. And you need to just, in the same way that God looked upon Elizabeth, you need through the power of the Spirit to say, God, would you look upon me? Sometimes in your shame, you just need to simply say, Father, would you look upon me in my shame? Would you look upon me in my brokenness? And would you hear the words of your father saying, you are my son, you are my daughter, and whom I love with you, I am well pleased. Let's go into the presence of the Lord confessing our brokenness and our desperate need for him. Because listen, church, listen, he longs to hear from you. He longs to hear from you. Let's, let's spend that time in silent prayer. it was for the joy it was for the joy that was set before you as Isaiah said he will see the light my servant will see the light of life and he will be satisfied it was for the joy that was set before him that you endured the cross and on the cross you took upon yourself our guilt our shame so that through your redemption, through your life, we might be set free. Father, if you've set us free, help us to stand firm. And I pray in Jesus' name right now, through the power of the Spirit, you'd help us, you'd identify those things that are enslaving us once again. Whether they are the accusations of the world, whether it's the pride of life or just the lust of the flesh, Father, we confess that like Israel wandering in the darkness, trusting in the idols of the nations and the storylines of their culture. Father, we want to replace those stories with the truth and the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that while we're sinners, you died for us, and yet, Jesus, it was for joy that you're willing to give your life for us. It wasn't taken from you, but by lavish grace, you poured out your love into our lives and covered our brokenness, our nakedness, our shame with the goodness of your righteousness. And so, Father, we celebrate what your son has done through, through his life and death and resurrection and then the night in which Jesus was betrayed. 
Jesus took bread, he broke it and gave thanks. And he said, it can eat for this is my body, which is broken for you. Church, let us receive it in remembrance of him. same way after supper he took a cup and he said this cup it represents the new covenant that is now established in my blood let us receive it in remembrance of it